Hello. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. It sounds like you are having a busy day. I guess you're in the <laughs> last stretch of world builders, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's uh, <laughs> I for you know, do you have the feeling where have you ever had the the time in your life when you're like I just need to make it through this week and then things will be okay like the end of the semester you have those two papers due and you should have been working on them but you weren't working on them and you're like I just need to get through this week and then I'll do my finals and then everything will be okay and then I can relax again that's where you are right now I I felt that way for the last 4 years <laughs> oh god um and I think it's like an elaborate psychological thing that my brain is doing to protect me <laughs> and it's like and I'm so I'm constantly and I realized I've been saying it to people for years I'm like you know what I can't talk about this right now or we can't pursue this project but hit me up in like 2 weeks and you know and then we'll be able to talk about this uh you know or what I say specifically is like in 2 weeks um things should settle down for me now, hold on. Do you hear that beeping? I don't. Um, it's fucking Discord. And it's beeping at me. It'll do that. Like, because I don't understand fucking technology anymore. <laughs> and I try to shut it up. It's like I installed it. I'm like, yay, now I can talk with my friends while we're playing while we're a fucking gaming. Yeah. M- murder simulator, you know, like is healthy and good. And, <laughs> and, and, and now Discord... It just it's it's like hey it's like a fucking parakeet that's in my computer and it won't shut up. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, that's a good reminder to me to go ahead and and mute Discord for a while. But um, it does does beep. Everything is beeping all the time, and it's a, it's a trick to sort of learn how to to shut it all up. But um, that sounds like a really stressful place to be in. Like the beeping on top of all the other stuff. <laughs> Right, the beeping is emblematic of of <laughs> the the nature of my life right now. I, you know, I used to be so good at not being good at anything and not being valuable it, to society at all, and so I just sort of like bumbled through life and like occasionally did a fun thing or a weird thing. You know, I did a radio skit comedy or you know, just, just like engage in, in lighthearted bullshittery and gentle insanity. And, and then I got published and suddenly people want to do cool things and it, that's great. But apparently if you do like 18 cool things, your life just catches on fire and it, (laughs) and, and, you know, and then suddenly you're traveling all the time and and I have yet to get a grip on it. I just I I don't know. Maybe this happened this all happened to be too late in life. And uh and so I, I'm not able to adapt quickly enough to my new situation. I think it's it's something that, you know, anyone who has that that hit has to deal with, right? Is like, how do you adjust to this thing? And how do you strike that balance between wanting to do all these things and suddenly 
having people wanting to do all these things with you and then also maintaining your life because you're still a human being who needs downtime. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> you, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head right there. Um, I've never been good at balance. I've mm. always sort of, my philosophy used to be balanced through extremes. <laughs> you know, I will, I will do a lot of work and I'll stay up late and I'll get this thing done. And then I will sleep for 18 hours and then I will go play video games for, you know, for an entire weekend and then I'll read eight books, you know, but it all kind of averages out to a regular life. Um, and it was not, apparently that's not scalable. That is not a sustainable model for anything. <laughs> Yeah, it does turn out that way that I think it's you can do that for a while, but at some point it's going to catch up with you. Yeah. But yeah. I appreciate you making time for this. Um, yeah, no worries. Because, you know, I know this week, uh, the next couple of weeks are uh, really busy, especially with world builders. Um, and actually, if if there are, you know, folks listening who don't know what that's all about, do you want to sort of give a brief rundown? Let me think here. What's my good – I used to have like a really tight pitch for <laughs> world builders. Um, let me see. And it, it, you know, and it seems like my pitch should get, like be about as tight as it could get at this point, like nine years in, um, uh, especially because I talk about it on my live stream every day. Um, World Builders is a charity that I started kind of by accident on my blog, and it's grown into something where we try to rally the geek community to donate to good causes. Primarily, um, so we are what's referred to as a pass-through charity. Uh, we raise money for other charities, most specifically Heifer International. And Heifer International is a, a charity that's existed for about 70 years, and they focus on uh, food autonomy and education and training. Uh, that's, that's a bunch of jargony bullshit. What it is is Heifer um, – well, uh, uh, you take a family and they don't have – a lot of food and they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a reliable source of work. Um, and, and this is the case for a huge portion of the world's population. Uh, and it's kind of hard to understand if, you know, like me, you grew up, uh, you know, white in America, um, that like 60% of earth still cooks its dinner over an open fire. And, so what Heifer does is they go to people and they educate them and they provide them training and then they give them something. And that something might be um, a flock of baby chicks that quickly become chickens and then the chickens lay eggs and then they can eat the eggs and then they can sell the eggs. And also, by the way, spoiler alert, the eggs become more chickens what? which then lay more eggs. It's kind of cool if you you know, don't know how that works. And so suddenly what you've done, it's not just like, oh, great, you have a chicken, you can eat the chicken. You've effectively given this family 
a small business, um, a small business that can give birth to other small businesses. And so not only do they have a more reliable stream of food, but they actually have a reliable income stream that they can then use to make their lives better and like buy clothes, buy medicine, pay for schooling for their children. Um, but because of the training Heifer provides, they also are kind of better aware of the opportunities they have to say, like maybe save up that egg money and then buy a goat. And then a goat like provides a gallon of milk a day and then you can drink the milk and sell the milk. And then there's another revenue stream. Because again, um, so many of the people all over the world, you know, they don't work a job and then buy food at the grocery store. What they have is a garden plot and like most of what they eat over the course of the year, they grow or, you know, themselves. And so Heifer comes in and says, how about some chickens too? And it turns out not only do chickens provide eggs, which then provide food and money, but chickens eat bugs out of your garden. And so your garden produces more food. And they also scratch things up and they aerate the soil. And also they provide manure, which enriches the soil. And goats also provide manure, which if you know how to deal with it, also increases the the crop yield of your garden plot. And again, when I say garden, this isn't like some heirloom tomatoes and like, you know, a, some marigolds. This is in, in many instances, like a quarter acre where you, that you eat out of all year. Um, and so heifer goes in and trains these people and gives them something and then teaches them how to train other people and how to pass on this gift to other people. And in a lot of places all over the world, um, Heifer has, uh, it's called passing on the gift. And like over in Nepal, there are entire communities of women who have passed on the gift of goats through like nine generations of goats. Um, and it, it's really an amazing thing. It's like an avalanche of good you know, exponentially rolling into the future. That's really incredible. The fact that <laughs> that world builders, like I, I was looking at the site earlier, and like I think your goal was, uh, was it three hundred thousand this year? Well, it's the 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 donation platform we use um, has. Uh, it we it requires us to set a goal for our fundraiser. Okay. Um, and so it's 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 kind of a weird thing because our goal, of course, is to raise as much money as yes, possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so do we start out by setting our goal at like ten million dollars that right. we're not going to hit, or do we set it at fifty dollars and immediately blow past it? Um, um. It's it's something that we kind of struggle with because it's kind of a marketing choice. Right. Are people more – like with a Kickstarter, people are really excited to donate to a Kickstarter that's exceeded its goal. Mm. But for a fundraiser, if you see like they were trying to make a quarter million dollars and they already did, then you click on that fundraiser and go, oh, they hit it. And then right. you're like, I better, right. I better find a different fundraiser. Um, the nice thing with ours is that um, – you know, the more people come in, the more we welcome them and, um, and 
uh, everyone, you know, there's, there's no end cap, you know, heifer can use as much money as we can make them. Yeah. And I mean, you have at this point flown past the 300,000, which is incredible. Um, and you have like this really interesting system for, uh, for sort of, you know, because every fundraiser like this has to sort of grapple with, okay, like how do we, if our job as a organization is we're passing on funds to other charities, like what are we doing to get that, um, to get that in? And part of that is sort of rallying around an, like a, a goal. Um, but part of it usually involves like auctions or similar kinds of things, but you do this really interesting thing with like a lottery system. Yeah, we, um, uh, we've tried a couple of things over the years and, um, you know, and this kind of stems from how I started this on my blog, um, which again, I, I, I cannot stress enough how genuinely <laughs> accidental it was because it was for the first time, um, I'd been published for about a year and I had gotten my first set of, uh, advances on my novels and I'd used that to pay off my looming tide of credit card debt, um, and then for the first time ever, literally ever, I had real grown-up money in the bank. Mm. And um, I had just um, – I had just – and this is a – I hadn't, I haven't thought about this in years. I had – I was driving somewhere and I heard on uh, Wisconsin Public Radio, they were doing their fundraiser. And I thought what I always thought, which is, oh, man, I wish I had some extra money. I would donate it to uh, Wisconsin Public Radio because I love their shows. And then it occurred to me, I have money. I feel like, <laughs> I'm, you know, like I am yeah. not hu- hugely – I go, I have money. And I actually pulled my car over to the side of the road and I called them like right there and I donated and I got the tote bag and, and whatever – and and it felt awesome. Like it felt so good. And then right after that, um, or right around that time, I just done a photo contest on my blog because we had just released the uh, the paperback of Name of the Wind. Um, so again, this was like I had only been published for maybe a year, and. I, I'm like, I'll do it. Like, hey, everyone, take a picture of yourself with the paperback of Name of the Wind, and I'll award some prizes, and I'll give away some signed books and whatever. And I was hoping maybe we might get a couple of dozen pictures. And if not, I was fully prepared to fake some up <laughs> so that I so I didn't look like a loser on my own blog. And, and then, like, thousands of pictures came in, and people, like, got into costumes, and people got naked, and people, like, climbed on rooftops. And it was so <laughs> overwhelming and cool to find out, like, how many people were reading the book and how many people were enthusiastic about this and, and willing to play with me on my blog in this loving way. And, and then I, after that was over, I'm like, well, that was fun. What can we do next? And then I gave some money to Wisconsin Public Radio and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe we can – I can do something with this enthusiasm in the community other than stroke my own ego <laughs> with it. And so I threw up a blog that said, hey, Heifer International is my favorite charity. Um, if you guys donate to Heifer, 
on this page, I'll match your donations. And, and again, this was a little bit of like what I consider a magician's trick because I was going to make a donation anyway, but I knew that it would kind of maybe motivate people to check it out and get excited. Um, and so I was going to kind of double up on my money, um, or rather the good that my money was going to do. And I thought that I would really be pulling something off if I got people to donate $5,000. And we hit that in, and I said, I'll, I'll match your donations for a month. And I set my little thermometer and the thermometer was set at $5,000. And, and again, I thought, well, you know, if they don't donate, maybe I'll do it just so I don't look like a loser <laughs> on my own blog. Um, and we hit that, we hit $5,000 in three days. Oh my God. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I knew you guys were excited and enthusiastic, but I didn't know that would translate to backing a charity that you think is cool. And then I was like, okay, you know, but I, I'm thinking also like this was the initial couple of days, you know, now everyone has read the blog. And so I just, I bumped it up to like $7,500. I'm like, yeah, come on, come on in. The water's fine. And then we hit that the next day. Wow. And then I'm like, well, $10,000? And and they're like, and then it's like, we hit that. And then I went to my girlfriend and I'm like, so I said I'd match donations <laughs> for a month. Like, and it keeps, there's more donations. Like, do I raise this thermometer again? And she just said, she goes, it's your money. Um, and so I matched donations for the whole month and other authors started coming in and they started, uh, you know, cause I said like, I'll give away maybe some signed books or, you know, you can, you can buy, you can buy a few things. If you really want this, you send me a check and I'll send you a signed book. And again, it just, it went crazy. Um, and so all these letters are showing up with checks in them and it's just, um, and then other authors said, this is cool. Can, will you give away a signed copy of my book I'll, and for, for your fundraiser? And then more people and people like, hey, I have an unpublished manuscript version of this or I have this rare book. Or, um, and then like Neil Gaiman came in and tweeted about it right at the end. So then uh, towards the end of that year, uh, it was – we raised $55,000 and, and that was every bit of money that I had. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was every bit of money that I had in the bank. And so, and I'm like, well, okay, there we go. Let's, uh, uh, let's do this. And, and I, I matched it and, um, and it was a pretty, it was a great feeling, you know, because I've been broke before, but never broke for a real good reason. And the only problem was I didn't realize that as a self-employed author, I needed to set aside <laughs> money for, for taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that caused a problem in a couple of months after that, um, because I did not have any money left, um, but uh, but yeah, it was that's how it all started. And with other authors coming in and pointing their fans at the fundraiser and them donating books. So over the years, you know, authors send in more stuff. Publishers now donate books. Um, game designers and game publishers donate stuff. And um, and so what happens is if you kick in, say 
uh, 10 bucks to world builders. It effectively gets you one draw, you know, uh, uh, it's in, in our lottery. And this year we have like 4,000 prizes that we're currently giving away. A lot of them are books. A lot of them are signed or rare or out of print. Uh, we're giving away a lot of uh, games as well because game designers come in. Um, and you can choose when you make your donations. Like, do you want to win just games or just books or games and books? Um, but And if you donate 20 bucks, you get two draws. Um, you know, 20 bucks is enough for a flock of chickens. Um, 120 bucks will buy a family a goat. Um, and that will give you 12 prize draws. Uh, we even have some really big stuff too. Like um, there's a cabin for two on the Joko cruise. Um, I don't know if you know about the cruise. It's sort yeah. of like, wow. yeah, um, like a cool convention, except it's on a cruise ship. So you go to a panel on writing and then you go listen to Jonathan Colton play music. And then you, then you drunk drink rum out of a pineapple on a beach. And then, um, but they're, they've thrown in a nice balcony cabin for two. So if you kick in a couple of bucks to this good cause, you have a chance of winning free, free cool geek cruise. Um, just today, actually, although it, when the podcast goes live, it'll, it'll have happened for a couple of days ago. The, the folks at Wormwood Games uh, have donated one of their beautiful, beautiful um, uh, wood gaming tables. Mm. I, I don't know why I said wood gaming tables. What else would it be made <laughs> out of? But, but like, I, I saw it at PAX Unplugged. I actually touched it, and it was, like, it was honestly it was a pretty erotic experience not to make this weird, <laughs> but this table, I kept coming back to their booth and touching this table. Like it, I, I almost can't talk about how much I loved it without sounding like a pervert. It's, it was, it's so, so well designed and it's just, it's so nice to touch. And yeah, I am. I'm going to sound weird, but it's like this is like a $6,000 handmade here in the US beautifully engineered gaming table that that also doubles as like a dining room table because you can have all your game stuff set up in this recessed area, then you put the top of the table on and then you just have a flat surface. You eat dinner and your game is still set up underneath. Mm. Um and it's like they've just started producing them. They go for like $6,000 and they're donating that to the fundraiser and to come in, kick in a couple of bucks and you might get lucky. They will bring it to your house and set it up. Your choice of wood. Um, so yeah, the, the, the geek community, not just the people who donate, but these people who make games and make books have also really, they turn out in droves to give cool things to the fundraiser. Yeah, that's all so incredible. And I wanted to ask about one specific thing that I know has been kind of a recurring phenomenon, uh, which is the Stardust story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Stardust book, um, it actually – because uh, I'll, be, I'll be frank here. Like I'm a huge geek for Neil Gaiman. Um, there's, are, are you a fan? Have you read, uh, Neil's stuff? 
Yeah, I have read quite a lot of it. Yeah, I, I read um, Sandman way back in college. Um, I love a lot of his short stories. Um, yeah, Fragile Things was an amazing, an amazing collection. Have you listened to him read it on audio? No. Oh, my God. Right? Like you – I'm not going to say you have to because that's a dick thing to say. <laughs> but I will say you're missing one of the finer things in life because mm. – uh, in my opinion, there are like three people who – there are three A-list storyteller narrators in existence that I've experienced. There's Garrison Keillor, although it, it's hard to say that today. Mm -hmm. um, there's Dave Sedaris. Um, and there's Neil Gaiman um, where – you know, and he does his own audiobooks. Um, not all of them. He didn't do American Gods, but he does Neverwhere and Stardust. Um, and he did Fragile Things. Hearing him read those stories himself is uh, it, it, amazing. Doesn't cover it by half. He's mm. so good at it. He's so good at it. He's so like, he's better at me than everything. And it's so galling. Um <laughs> Uh, because like we we do many of the same things and everything that we do, he does better. You know, mm. I'm a pretty good narrator. He's an A plus narrator. You know, like I'm a pretty good writer. He is an amazing writer. Um, you know, I I dabble in comics. He wrote Sandman. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's just, um, you know, he's prettier than I am. He has a better accent than I am. It's uh, uh, it's uh, that's probably why you know for Neil. It's not just that I'm a fan. I'm a legit 100% geek for him. Mm -hmm. So when he heard about my fundraiser and he was like, hey, can I can I chip something in? And then he sent along – it was that very first year he turned his, his, his horde of adoring fans toward us. <laughs> and, um, and then he sent along this, this beautiful advanced reader copy – of Stardust, and it was a hardcover, slip-cased book with, like, in, embossed, inlaid, gold, you know, gold leaf, illustrated, like, touched by the Pope, you know, like, just there's, <laughs> like, angels, you know, like, cried tears onto this book, and it, it glows with a holy light, this beautiful, beautiful book. That like there were only I think a hundred or a hundred and fifty of them made, and he donated it, and, um, and so we weren't sure what to do with it because it was so high class, and, um, and so and I'm trying to remember the exact order of of events because it's gone back and forth a little bit, um. He – we could auction something like that off and obviously we'd make a couple of thousand dollars and at that point a couple of thousand dollars was a notable percentage of what we hoped to fundraise. Um, the um, – but instead we decided to throw it into the general lottery so anyone could win it so long as they donated at least 10 bucks. Um, but then the person who won it donated it back to the fundraiser and said, you need to auction this to make more money for world builders. And so 
we did auction it off and then a person bid and um i think it was he paid like almost three thousand dollars for it in the auction and then when he won it he said that he had inherited that money from his mother when she recently passed away and he wanted us to keep the book and the money and then put it back in the lottery the year after that. <laughs> and then the next year we put it in the lottery again. And uh, and then the person, uh, you know, the, the person won it and loved it and said, and said, oh, it's so great to win it. I just can't accept it, though. You need to keep it in the lottery. Give somebody else the chance to win it. And... Uh, and then we sent her a bunch of other books as a thank you for being cool present. But, and then the next year, the same woman won it again. Um, and it was, it was really weird. I thought that my, my team had screwed up the prize draw, like, um, but, and so I called her and I'm like, Hey, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. It's Pat Rothfuss. You kind of won the book again. Um, and like I don't even know what the math is on it, but it must be literally millions to one um, that that she won it. Um, so eventually, this has gone on for years because Stardust has been with us from the beginning of the fundraiser. The person who wins it invariably donates it back to the fundraiser. Um, and then we send them a big box of thank you for being cool and generous books. Um and and then it continues. At this point, we actually have library cards that are signed by Neil Gaiman and all the oh previous winners. And so, like, you might even if people decide to donate the book back, they get. Um, and and this is going to date me, but back in the day, everyone, you would go to a library and there would be a library card mm-hmm. in the back of the book that would be stamped. And so, right now, um, Neil signed these library cards. And so has everyone else who has won the book so far. So now if you win it, uh, you might donate the book back again. But what you, you know, what you get is this library card that shows everyone else who has effectively checked this book out. Um, and it's signed by Neil Gaiman, too. So you get kind of a memento of, of this. Um, somebody might eventually keep it. Um, and that's, that's something that might really legitimately happen. But um, uh, but for now, it's been it's been in circulation. I think seven or eight times. Wow, that's incredible! And the the fact that the same person won it twice like that's astronomical. I I really want to like tap Vi Hart and say, "Hey Vi, here here's our spreadsheets. Can you tell me how unlikely this is?" Like. <laughs> Like what sort of Douglas Adams esque, you know, like improbability has occurred uh, in these prize draws? Um, but you know, that's what that's what happens with random luck. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the people who win really some of our big ticket items um, are people that came in and they donated like sixty bucks, which is enough to buy a family like uh, tree seedlings, you know, and. Um, and the training to take care of like fruit or nut trees, which provide like a great cash crop and shade and they prevent soil erosion and, and stuff like that. 
but they'll 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 throw in 60 bucks and they'll win you know like you know uh, the cool gaming table or like a cool gaming board from wormwood or um you know or a or a cruise for two with a bunch <laughs> of geeks um so uh yeah yeah it's 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 really neat to see it how it all breaks down every year yeah that's super cool um and you know we're recording this a f- only a few days in advance and so actually uh there still is i think uh, about a week still left um in world builders for this year so uh people should get over there and check it out yeah it's let me i actually need to look at the page to tell you exactly when it ends oh it just says in umpteen days it does nine days it says nine days so that means oh here we go it will be going until at least december 8th right um we have a little bit of a tradition Sometimes if we get like some last minute donations, we'll push back the end date of the fundraiser, maybe a couple of days. Um, but uh, but don't count on it lasting much longer than December 8th, because um, if you, you know, once once we close the door, uh, you can still donate to world builders, but you're not going to be able to get in on the lottery at that point. Right. Right. Well, that still gives people, um, as of this going up, about a week. So plenty of time. Let's talk about your downtime, sparse as it may be lately. Um, I know that you have done some role playing, um, much of which is for other projects. So uh, I don't know. Is that something that you do kind of off air as well? Is it something you've, you've done for a long time? You know, it's um, you, you. You kind of <clears throat> you went right to the heart of the matter. <laughs> I uh, I do. I I play <clears throat> I play games, or I kind of guest in on a lot of these games if they need a pinch hitter or if they want um, somebody to stop by. I I played on Critical Role because uh, I was going to be in town, and uh, the character that I brought in ended up working real well with the group. And then I, I ended up coming back later uh, with the same character um, uh, almost a year after that um, and played three more sessions with them. And it's a ton of fun. I love, I love not just D and I love role playing as a creative endeavor, as a mm. hobby. Um, and I've been doing it for forever. Um, and by forever, I mean, starting around the fifth grade, um, which was way back in the day, um, back in the eighties. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan and I play with acquisitions incorporated. Um, I, uh, guested in with the misclicks as well and the C team. And I, I just played with the the waffle crew as well. Um, I've also been doing some stuff with Wizards directly, mm. which I can say that because they've mentioned that on Twitter. <laughs> and so that's not a secret, but me talking specifically about what I've done with them, I don't think is out of the bag yet. Okay. So, yes, I have a, a deep and abiding fondness for role playing. But I started with D&D, like, like so many people do, and that's, that's got a real special place in my heart. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are some other games that you're into? Um, you know, uh, I don't have a local D&D game or any sort of role-playing game these days because I don't have a local group of friends that games anymore, mm. um, which sucks about as much as anything can suck. Um, because those were my college friends and then they graduated and moved away. Um, and so I just, I haven't, I haven't made a new group of friends since then. Um, uh, you know, so I play, I play a, a fair number of video games, although not nearly as many as I used to. Um, I took a crack at PUBG. Ooh, uh, yeah. Do you do PUBG? I used to. Um, I haven't in some time, um, but it was really fun while I was playing it. It's it's really not my kind of game, right? But uh, but I think the the execution was really good, and the fact that a couple of my friends played. Um, not only do I not tend to play a bunch of shooter games, um, but I also don't tend to play multiplayer games very much, right? Yeah. And so this was both of those, and but I, I did, I enjoyed it. I really, I was really not good at it. Um, <laughs> Same, uh, yeah. But um, uh, you know, generally speaking, I I prefer something story based. You know, something uh, like with good narrative and choice in it. Mm. Um, I. I show my roots there. You know, the first games I played were the old Infocom games. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, or Fallout. The original Fallouts were really, Ooh, really right. yeah. um, amazing. Or Planescape Torment, um, uh, which was one of the, the, the great sort of later generation classics, in my opinion. And then I actually got to write a, a little piece of a game with a lot of the people who wrote Torment uh, mm. back in the day. Um um, and that was, that was fun too, getting to actually write a little piece of a video game. Yeah. Um, in ways, a very different experience from what I've heard from writing straight up fiction, especially if there's choice involved, it's, uh, you have to sort of settle for the fact that like, well, not everyone is going to see everything you write. Whereas in a novel, you're pretty confident that they're going to read through the whole thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole different way of thinking about the storytelling, um, <clears throat> and I think it's, and honestly, it's, it's something that is unique to video games is the ability to pursue that legitimately branched narrative. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, they're, the games that tend to be really successful narratively are the ones that embrace that, um, you know, and again, again, not all games are looking for narrative. You know, PUBG has not like one lick no. of text in it. <laughs> um, but uh, um, same thing with Overwatch. You know, like you know, there's there's not a not a ton of of narrative choice going on there. You're just blowing people up as a giant monkey. And um, but you know, what really irritates me is the games that are obviously trying to tell a story, mm -hmm. but they're trying to be a movie. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, you know, hey, hey, everyone, you know what makes for a great movie? Just a movie. 
Just make a movie. You know, <laughs> just make a movie. Just make – or how about this? Just watch a movie. If you love yeah. movies, maybe just watch a movie because and, – and I'll say the same thing to authors. Like, you know, if you're if you're writing a book but you wish you were writing a movie, it's probably not a great book because like movies do certain things better than any other form of media because they have certain things that no other media has. Um, books do some things better than any other media because of what books have. And, you know, and if you don't recognize what makes your medium unique, you can't capitalize it and, and kind of roll around in what you're best at. Um, you know, books allow you to wear somebody else's skin to, to use like the worst possible analogy. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that's what books have to offer is the ability to experience other people's experiences. Movies can touch on that, but they really, it's really not in the same way. Um, comics have things like comics are not movies either. Comics are not books. They're their own distinct thing. And uh, it, it, it pains me because back in the day before the technology was so advanced, games did revel in their ability to puzzle you, mm. to frustrate you, to like force you to solve problems, to, you know, to find different ways to to have solutions. That's something that a book cannot do or a comic cannot do. A movie cannot do, um, you know, with rare exception, like a choose your own adventure sure. or like a series of YouTube, <laughs> you know, videos that like, like which one do you pick, you know, and you like a or B um, again, it's, but that's, it, it doesn't fit well within that medium. It fits well within a video game. Like you talk to a person and you learn about them in this game or you make a, you make a decision for your character, you know, you defend the town and you succeed or you fail and it changes the story that you're experiencing in the game. You used to have many more games like that. And these days it's just a series of beige fucking bra <laughs> dudes shooting each other behind walls and I'm like, that's that's just not a story that was interesting the first time, let alone a hundred times. Um, but then again, I'm kind of a curmudgeon. So, <laughs> I mean, people seem to like them, but then again, people seem to like a lot of things that aren't great. Um, I'm reminded of uh, something that David Mamet said in who, you know, personally speaking, I think is kind of an uh, nightmare but uh has written a lot of really fascinating stuff on film and on directing and um in one of his books on directing he talks about how the steady cam really screwed up directing because it led people away from doing a series of cuts and from thinking about film as as about cuts um, oh. and it it moved them towards thinking about them as following the protagonist around while while they do things and that's kind of similar to to games where you know i think a lot of gamers tend to think of oh you know better technology is great better graphics like motion controls all this cool stuff but 
you know, better technology or like improvements to technology or new breakthroughs don't always make the work better, right? They, in many ways, can lead people down a path that is actually away from what is interesting about that medium. I, I that you said it so much more succinctly um, <laughs> than I did. If you watch these, the, some of these classic movies, and I'm not a big classic movie nut, but mm-hmm. um, what was I watching? Is it Harvey? Is it called Harvey? Oh yeah, uh, Imaginary Rabbit. Yeah, the Imaginary yeah. Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Classic. Um, I, I was watching that old one, and who who was that? It's the classic uh, actor, it's Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart, just. Uh, uh, you know, and I don't need you know, Pat Rothfuss' groundbreaking announcement. Jimmy Stewart was a great actor. Um, <laughs> the thing is, the rabbit never shows up. It's the there's this guy. He people he talks about a puka. It's like this giant invisible imaginary rabbit, and everyone doesn't know if he's crazy or not. And I think the only evidence you see one way or the other is like at one point towards the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, like a door opens seemingly on its own. Mm -hmm. And then I think maybe like a chair moves a little bit. Mm. Like maybe there is something there, but that's it. That's all that happens. If they remade that movie now, they would blow 45 million goddamn (laughs) dollars making this elaborate cgi imaginary fucking rabbit um whereas they didn't have the option and so what they had was a a bang up good script and an amazing actor and good camera editing and work and it's a brilliant movie you know if you add a hundred million dollars worth of special effects to that it in no way improves the experience. Um, now, not to be full bore curmudgeon, like obviously, <laughs> yeah, Thor Ragnarok was pretty baller, you know, and you couldn't have done that without CGI. So yes, the technology mm-hmm. enabled a movie like that to exist. But, you know, there's... If you don't have the technology, you find out that what it all comes down to is people and words. Mm. If you're if you're if you're telling a story and your primary focus is not people and words, you done fucked up. And if you look at the vast majority of of films where, you know, a third or more of their budget was special effects, invariably they fuck that up. You know, they they forget that the purpose of what they're doing, which is telling a story, is to engage, you know, in a in some sort of commentary about people. And to do that, you have to have good words. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 That's an incredibly succinct, artful way of putting it. Well, do you want to move on to the only segment that we do on the show? Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, So this is a segment that we call Get Wrecked. Get Wrecked. Uh, Scary name, really simple premise, though, um, because it's a segment about recommending things to our listeners. And those things can be pieces of media. They can be uh, practices. They can really be anything that we want. And I always leave it up to the guest 
as to whether they would like to go first or would like me to go first. And I may have neglected to mention that this was a segment when I invited you on the show. No, so, no, no, that's that's a cool, that's cool. Um, for like, do we each only do one? Uh, you can do as many as you like. I usually do how about, one. How about this? You start, and then I'll do one, and I'll try to make mine different than yours, and then you do another one that's different than mine, and then I'll do one more, Whoa, and we'll try to. Yeah. We're going to cover the whole realm of human experience in these four different <laughs> recommendations. We're going to freestyle it. Okay, I love this. I love this. We're going to do back and okay. forth. Okay. Uh, my first rec for this week, I am actually going to rec uh, that Mame book on writing uh, or on, on directing film. Sorry. It's uh, very brief. It's like 100 something pages. And I think even if you aren't interested in directing, it's a good primer on writing because it's really his whole style is this very like aggressive and bare bones. Um, and it's very much just like, OK, at any one time, go back to what is the protagonist's goal in this scene? The scene ends when they get it or when they don't get it. Um, you know, it's a really interesting way to to think about film and to think about narrative in general. I think there's a lot of really great stuff. And the whole thing is told in mostly this um kind of Socratic dialogue where he's like hanging out with a bunch of students and asking like, well, what's the best way to shoot this scene? And someone offers something and he's like, well, how about this? And just <laughs> it's like very, like very much in his style. Um, and it's, it's a fun read. So I would, that would be my first rec. That sounds cool. And I like, I like the Socratic style where it's, Hey everyone, what do you think? And they give an answer like good answer, but no, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dick move, but, um, but it, it can be fun. Um, I'm actually going to change my first answer Ooh. because, and I'm going to change even what I was proposing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it all out because you mentioned that book. And now I want to mention a book called Understanding Comics. Ooh, yes. Have you ever read that by Scott McCloud? I am in the process of reading it. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's similar to what you just mentioned, except it's about comics. Mm -hmm. um, I read it, honestly, I don't even know how I got a hold of it. I read it before I was a huge fan of comics, but it talks about stories. And, like, and it talks about what comics are. And aren't, which was just kind of fascinating to me because this book itself is in comic format. Mm -hmm. And and so it's like, what are comics? He's like, well, maybe let's talk about what they aren't. Let's talk about this. And then he's like, you know, what is art? You know, that we're talking about it. And then he says, what do comics do? How do comics work? You know, how how do comics do effectively? <laughs> and you know. It's 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 an absolute essential if you're a fan of comics or if you're trying to write comics. It's hard for me to imagine anyone writing comics who has not already been exposed to this book. But as a writer, it was really fascinating in terms of he talked about effectively scene breaks. If, of course, they're not scene breaks in comics. You have the – he explained how all – virtually all of the action that occurs in comics occurs in between the pictures in the panel right. in in the gutter in between these two panels and like it, that chapter is should be essential reading for anyone who engages in any sort of narrative um because it it was just it was just stunningly insightful 
Um, and, and a truly entertaining read talks about closure and how the human mind works. And, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, if, if I put together a list of 10 books that almost anyone would enjoy and benefit from reading, it would probably be on that list. Yeah, it's great so far. I mean, I'm reading through that and I'm also reading through a few other books, on comics right now just because I'm fascinated um, by the subject. And it's something that once you start reading them, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, no, I'm starting to see how these work. And um, it's really great to be able to break down like, oh, well, how how are they like pacing the panels and, and what is happening between them? And how are they using dialogue boxes or captions? Um, it's really cool to be able to become that kind of reader of comics rather than sort of just burning through them. Yeah, it's um uh I I read honestly I read more comics than I do novels these days because it uses a different part of my brain. Mm. And I can I can get a complete story in about 40 minutes as opposed to, you know, 5 or 6 hours reading a book. Yeah. Okay, so now now you have to do another one and then I'll do another one. Okay. <laughs> uh okay. I'm going to recommend, okay, I hate to do another book, but it's more, it's a game. It's not like a fiction or nonfiction book. Um, so I'm actually DMing my first campaign in about a year right now. Ooh. And it's not D&D. It's a game called Apocalypse World. Huh. And uh, this game is uh, by a guy named uh, Vincent Baker, I want to say. And... Uh, Megui Baker, and uh, it is a post-apocalyptic role-playing game uh, set in a non-specific apocalypse, and the characters are all just like weirdos trying to survive and get by, um, and the system is probably the most exciting part of it because it's very simple. You only use six-sided dice, and it's really engineered to be about character relationships. And so the DM is really encouraged to not plan out a big plot. I've played D&D games like that, and they can be really fun where, you know, I had this grand arc that I was trying to get through and the players were changing it and involved in it. But there was this big setting and story that I wanted to tell. Whereas in Apocalypse World, you're really, it's really about more improv and keeping you on your toes and sort of like responding to the players' actions in the world. Um, and the best part of the system, which is something that's been copied and um, built upon by a lot of other games, is everything is designed to move the action forward. So whereas in a game like D&D, when you make a skill roll, either you succeed and something happens or you fail and nothing happens. In Apocalypse World, there's things that happen when you fail ev for every move in the game. So the, the action, the narrative action keeps moving forward, which is really exciting. Um, and it's also just a really fun book to read because the, the voice is really unique. And, uh, and so even if like you're not playing it anytime soon, just reading through it to get some ideas about design and narrative, I think, is, is a really good idea. You know, that happened with me. Um, I've never played Pathfinder, mm -hmm. but I picked up a pack. I don't even know why I ended up picking up this Pathfinder book. Um, but it was the DM's guide for Pathfinder. And that was like, so here's how to run a game. And I've run games before, mm -hmm. but uh, people assumed that I would be a great GM, and I'm not. <laughs> um, because the skills that make you a good author – do not 
one-to-one translate into, you know, because I have like absolutely perfect and infallible dictatorial control over my books. Mm -hmm. You know, like my editor and I have argued like on multiple occasions about one letter in one word, (laughs) you know, like that's how far down I go. You know, and, and, um, it was gray with an E by the way, as opposed to gray with an A. Um, (laughs) and I fought, I fought her tooth and nail on multiple occasions. Um, because gray with an E is what I needed in the book, and gray with an A is not the same as that. And so I, I, uh, that sort of dictatorial control does not really always go over well in a D&D game, um, where I'm like, hey, guys, you hear rumor of a dragon to the east. And they're like, mm, we actually want to go exploring the monastery. And I'm like, except there's a <laughs> dragon to the east. You know, um, there's an earthquake on the road to the west. Now you have to go east. It's... It, it can go really bad with me. Um, uh, and, but I picked up this Pathfinder book and they had like a flow chart and they're like, here's how a story can go. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. I wish I would have seen this 10 years ago. I would have been such a better GM. Um, um, so, but, but rather than, oh, and they also mentioned things like, um, you know, I want to create a, this huge world, but, you know, and like my world has eight kingdoms and da, 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 da. And then what do I do if instead of going to, you know, the kingdom A, they go to kingdom B and this real talk in the GM's guide was like, here's the thing. You don't have to make eight kingdoms, make one kingdom and, and like populate it with some characters. And then if they go, they're like, I'm going to go to blah, 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 wherever the hell. And you're like, oh, I wasn't planning on that. <laughs> they're like, just use the characters you've already made. <laughs> like they will never, nobody knows but you, right? Right, So right. it's like that way you get to tell the story you wanted to tell anyway, and they feel like they have agency and choice. And I'm like, oh my God, that is brilliant. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like I don't have to make eight distinct kingdoms and then throw away seven of them because they're never going to visit the other seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not going to recommend a, a, a game or a role-playing system, uh, although the one that I played most over in my life is Champions. Um, just to throw that out there, it's called the Hero System. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will recommend bullet journaling mm. to go in a completely different direction. Yeah. If you, if you are a disorganized person like I am, and if you have a tendency towards list making as an attempt to gain control over your life, bullet journaling is a lifesaver. Like, I, I have, do you, have you ever heard of it? Have you ever tried I've it? I've heard of it, but I've never tried it. I have a pretty complex system of my own um, that I try not, it's held together with rubber bands and, and sticks. And I try not to touch it for fear of it crumbling. Um, but please tell me more. It's, you know, I've had some friends and they're, they haven't been like missionaries, like, like you must come to the, the way and the light of the bullet journal, (laughs) but, but they're like, yeah, I do it. And it's really helpful. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds neat. And I'd been saying that at various points for more than a year. But what I realized, and again, 
I used to bumble along and kind of do whatever. And it was fine because I didn't have much going on in my life. But then, you know, the book gets published and they have side projects and then I have, you know, different things to run and then I have kids and a schedule. And I started having a list that sat like right next to my mouse on my desk and it was all the things that I needed to do. And as I did the things, I could cross them off and like the visceral satisfaction I feel at crossing something off my list is I won't say better than sex. <laughs> it's up there. But you know, it is up there, you know, and it also it's more achievable than <laughs> sex frequently. <laughs> like, I don't know what your day is like, but uh and also, you know, if you have a really good day, you can cross 12 things off your list. And, you know, I'm not 18 anymore. So <laughs> um <clears throat> but one, one of the and I'm like this works well and then you cross a bunch of stuff off your list and then you have to make a new list because you run out of space and you recopy the things or at least here this was my system you recopy the things you haven't crossed off your list yet and it sort of keeps it fresh in your mind um, and you know and then you have new space on your new list and you write new things down and what I realized is that at various points in my life everything would kind of go to shit. Mm-hmm. And then I traced it back to um, – I'm like, why am I behind on everything? Why is – you know, why why did this project get late? Why, why am I miserable and anxious and everything seems to be going wrong? And I realized it's because I like – I put a book down on top of my list Ooh. and then I put like a cereal bowl on top of the book and like – and my office was such a mess that there was like no way for me to uncover the list. Mm-hmm. So if anything, like even just a piece of paper would occlude the list, my life would start to fall apart, um, which means the system had flaws, right? right. <laughs> but bullet journaling is a very loose framework within which you can have some scheduling and have a list and and like – do what works for you in the way that makes sense in your own head, but also you keep it like in one place. Cause here's the other thing. If you move, if like, if you travel, I'm like, Oh no, my list is on my desk. Or if you have two desks, you have an office and a house or, or if like you're in the kitchen or the grocery store, and you like write something down on a post-it note and you're like, I've got to remember this. And you write it down on a post-it. You're never going to remember that. You're mm-hmm. never going to lose that post-it note. But the bullet journal, you can take it with you. It acts like this list. You can make other little notes to yourself. You can write down poetry ideas or little story notes or ideas for your D&D game that you want to do. Um and then you can also have your schedule in it. And then you can have like, here's what I need to do on Monday. Here's what I need to do on Tuesday. Here's a little checklist. It's like, remember to take your brain meds. Remember to like lift weights today, you know? And then you get to cross those things off. You get your little serotonin mm. bump. But, <laughs> you know, or if you don't have those things, you do it a different way. And that's what's beautiful about it is you do it and you're like, this worked, this didn't. You stop doing the stuff that doesn't work or you do it different and your bullet journal slowly evolves and it's 
it's fucking magical. It is what it is. And here's what's maybe best about it, in my opinion. The reason the list works is it's a reminder for me. I have too much stuff to actively keep in my head at all times. Um, and so the list was good. But the bullet journal is better because it allows me to subdivide my list and maybe break, you know, because I can't write on my list, finish book three, because I'll never get to cross <laughs> that off. Right, right. You know, but if on my book three progress list, I can write the many things I need to do on that list. Like I can be like research subinfudation in Estonia, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, find out how silver mining works, you know, look into the evolution of, you know, mounted archery in Japan. Um, and then I can write things down like, Write for one hour, and this is where it starts to get fucking brilliant, right? Because if I see that on my, even better, I, I write for fifteen minutes because I can always I can go. Oh, I don't feel like it, but I look at my list and I'm like, I I can write for fifteen minutes. And once you're writing for fifteen minutes, typically you're into it. And then you can probably write for a half an hour, maybe an hour. And so you get work done on this big project, but it's a low entry point. Mm. So it allows you to break down big projects into little projects that are achievable. And then again, you get to cross the stuff off on your list, which is the best. Like crossing stuff off a list is really not to make it weird, everybody, but it's it's really great. You gotta <laughs> you gotta trust me on this. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough if you are busy and maybe stressed and maybe behind. The other huge benefit is it reduces cognitive load, which right. is a very specific yeah. thing. The more stuff you're trying to carry around in your head, um, the more stressed you are. But if you write it down, you don't need to worry about remembering it. And it mm -hmm. frees up a huge amount of brain space. Um, you know, uh, I never – and I, I'm going to take this in, in a slightly weird direction. You remember – you ever read Lord of the Rings or you watch the movies? Mm -hmm. There's you know, the concept of the one ring, right? Like the one problem reading through those as a kid is the conceit of the one ring never made sense to me where there was this super powerful guy and then he made a super powerful thing that made him more powerful. And then he kind of put his power into it and then he lost the thing. <laughs> and then he was less powerful. Um, it never made sense to me until I started bullet journaling because <laughs> – because like suddenly I'm like, wow, like I wrote down my schedule. I wrote down the things I need to get done today and the things I need to get done this week. And I have a – and I'm like, I'm getting so much done. And then I I left it at somebody's house mm. and suddenly I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm worried that I'll, I'll – I was, I was so effective for that week. And then I lost my bullet journal for a day and I didn't update it the way I should. And I'm like, 
I'm like, well, I was a big wet lump of shit today. Like I didn't get anything done. My source of power was not nearby me. And suddenly <laughs> I was weaker thereby. Um, so, uh, so yeah, not only will a bullet journal help you organize your life, reduce stress and cognitive load, it will bring you to a better understanding of Lord of the Rings. And don't we all need that in our lives? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there, there are only two, there are two people, right? Two kinds of people, people who have a deep understanding of the Lord of the Rings and people who don't bullet journal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that Venn diagram. <laughs> well, thank you for your wonderful Rex. And thank you for, for joining me. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry that I, I have a tendency to, uh, soapbox you know and, and no to, no to that's in, why you're here yeah and 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 speak speak in in long long paragraphs rather than than in in shorter more dynamic statements uh that's just just the way just the way i'm built it's perfect wouldn't change a thing <laughs> uh thanks again and uh if you ever want me back in the future don't uh don't don't hesitate to ask yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I assume people know where to find you, but just in case, do you want to tell people where you are online in various places? Oof, a doof. Um, <laughs> we're just about to revamp my very, my very archaic website into something shiny and new. Um, uh, but that's, you can, you, you can Google me on, on the interwebs at Pat Rothfuss and you'll probably find my webpage, which mm -hmm. might look gross now, but give it a week and it, and it might have launched by then. Um, I am one of the top rated reviewers on Goodreads. Ooh. Um, uh, if you want to see me talk about books there, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. Um, I occasionally do streaming. Um, you can find me there under Pat Rothfuss as well. I, I do daily streams in order to promote the fundraiser. Um, we're, we just launched uh, the announcement of a tournament. So a bunch of people will be getting together and playing StarCraft, of all things, um, uh, in an attempt to raise more money and raise awareness of the World Builders fundraiser. Um, so yeah, um, most of the social media things with the exception of like Instagram or, or Tumblr, you know, I don't, I don't get those. Um, <laughs> um, I'm kind of all over the place there. Right. Well, yeah. Thank you again so much. And, um, I will talk to you later. Thank you. I'll see you around. Bye. Secrets is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Woodland Secrets is a part of Stay Mean, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Mean at woodlandsecrets.co slash support. For as little as three bucks a month, you'll get access to a monthly newsletter and frequent bonus episodes of our shows. If you'd like to have a message read on the show, head to woodlandsecrets.co slash messages. You can help people find out about the show. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at Woodland Podcast and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>